You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Church, great to be together. It's awesome to have Dwight here. I need a big Dwight Dwiggity hug. Oh, God. See you, bro. Um, awesome uh, to be together. Uh, Steve and Jackie are out of town. They're actually on vacation, which, um, amen for them. They needed a vacation. I mean, I'm not saying that, like, wow, they needed a vacation, but they needed a vacation. So uh, we're starting a new series today, if you're visiting with us, and um, it's going to go through the end of the year, called Between Two Trees, and I'll explain what that means in a minute. Uh, the reason we do sermon series is just sometimes it's helpful to kind of have uh, an idea of where we're going, and uh, it helps with inviting other people to be able to say, hey, you know, uh, we're doing a series on this topic, and uh, you should come along and catch up with whatever you missed on our app. Here's our app. Our app is really cool. I like that when I, I I've, several times I've had people ask about the church. I'm like, okay, we'll go to the app store and then South Bay Church. And then I just figure, hey, if they download the app, at least they'll get some, some information about us and maybe they'll come. So sometimes they just download the app right there. I don't know if they delete it later, but, uh, but it's cool because all the videos are there and the, uh, you know, past sermons. And so the, uh, the lesson today, there'll be some notes on there as well. If you click on the notes section, um, there's announcements, and, the, and then there's this, the Sunday lesson. But anyway, so that's why we do series. But this series is called Between Two Trees, and I'll explain what that means in a minute. But you ever uh, feel like uh, you kind of get a sense of the season that you're in in life, uh, again, in a, in a tangible way? Um, a few years ago, we were doing a uh, married couple group uh, going through a book together, and we were talking about one of the activities in the book was Let's talk about where you see your marriage in 10 years. And so all the other couples in the group were young. Either they didn't have kids yet or they had little babies. And so they're talking about, oh, yeah, in 10 years our kids will be in, maybe they might be about to be in middle school or they'll be, you know, going to preteen camp or maybe we'll have kids. And what will that be like? And, they're, you know, they're talking. And then Dustin and I were just kind of, it just hit us in this D group like, wait, in 10 years, Jameson will be 27 years old and... We might have grandkids, and I mean, we'll be really old, and you know, just that ten-year jump from where we were at—it was like, whoa, that's a big change. We might be empty nesters, and oh my gosh, and just kind of re- re- reaffirmed the season we'd been in, which was the season of kids in our home for quite a while now, um, and uh, so so it just kind of brought home that season that we're in. And uh, people talk about seasons of our universe or seasons of the earth, like there's a new uh, term that's been used to describe the, the season that we're in right now, the Anthropocene season, the Anthropocene age, which means basically humans have taken over everything. That's the, the new uh, term that scientists use for our current age that we're in. But the Bible has a lot to say about story and about the big picture and about narrative and kind of where we come from and where we're going And so this series is going to be kind of looking at those big themes of the Bible, the big seasons of the Bible, and how we fit into that. A lot of people don't really know the Bible very well, or they don't have a great sense of kind of the timeline of the Bible. You know, like they maybe heard of Abraham, or they've heard of David, and they might think, oh yeah, they, they were about the same time, right? But actually they were a thousand years apart, you know, but that's kind of people don't really get a good sense so this series is going to help you get a good sense of the timeline of the bible but not just for academic reasons but so that you can see how you 
fit into it. We all kind of somehow know that something is wrong with the world. You know, we, we look at things that have been going on in the news lately. We look at this horrible atrocity that was committed just one week ago today in a Baptist church in, in Texas. Uh, just It seems like we hear about more and more things like this, and we just go, what is wrong with our world? You know, the disease, the poverty, uh, the sin, really. If, if, if you are coming from a Christian perspective, that's what the Bible calls it, but what's going on? And, and this series will help us to understand that. You know, what, there is a problem with our world, and God is in the business of redeeming our world and fixing our world, but our world is, is messed up right now. And we're going to kind of be talking about that today. Um, at the beginning, the, the Bible, what, who knows what the first few words of the Bible are? In the beginning, you all said together, everybody knows that. You know, that terminology, in the beginning... That's the terminology of story, isn't it? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know, it's, you immediately know this is an epic tale. And that's really the, the language of the Bible, especially of Genesis. It's of origins, but it's not of scientific origins or history, the way we think about history. It's a story that begins in the beginning. When? Well, in the beginning. And it says God created the heavens and the earth. When you think of the word earth, what do you think of? You usually, most people nowadays, they think of a globe. You know, they think of, they think of planet Earth. I picture that classic uh, Earth photo, you know, taken from Apollo that has its beautiful, pic, you know, round Earth. Uh, that's what most people nowadays think about. But, you know, that's a very, very new image in our minds. The only since we've had satellites or the ability to get up and out of our Earth and look back at it. For thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, when people talk about heavens and Earth, what do they mean? They mean up there. And they mean down here. In the beginning, God created everything up there and God created everything down here. Uh, and so that's, that's the perspective of the Bible when it comes to Genesis. But it does talk about these origins and it describes a garden that we're going to look at here in a minute. And in this garden is this tree. And it's a perfect, it's a perfect situation. You know, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's harmony between people. There's harmony with God. Uh, you know, there's intimacy with people. There's intimacy with God. There's no sin. It's this perfect situation. And then the, the end of the Bible, interestingly, ends in a very similar way. There's a garden in the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, only it's a garden city now. And there's, there's not just a couple. There's not just the first couple. But it's all nations, all languages, all people. But they're all together in this garden city. And God is right there walking among them, just like in the Garden of Eden. And again, there's a tree there in the middle, the tree of life. And there's rivers running through it, and it's, there's no pain, and there's no shame, and there's intimacy, and there's, uh, there's no more temptation. It, it just, it's like a restoration of what we see in the beginning, only now it's all people and all cultures and all languages, and we're all together. Uh, isn't that a cool image? But the thing is, is that we are now in the time between the two trees. And so there's different big themes and big stories of the Bible that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. We're going to talk about Abraham. He is, three world religions consider Abraham their founder. And so it's really important that we know about Abraham and how does that affect us? What does it mean for our lives? We're going to talk about the Exodus, the exile, the Messiah, what the Messiah means. And we're going to talk about that garden city that's there at the end of the age. So that's what this series is about, kind of looking at what is the big picture of what God is doing. Uh, the, the Bible is a story of God and who he is, the story of what he's been doing in the world, and, and the story of his people and how we fit in 
to that story. So let's kind of uh, zoom in here on the garden uh, there in Genesis 1. So if you turn there, I know you all know the first verse. You might not know the second. Um, and uh, I'm going to say a prayer and then we'll start uh, looking through the text here. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the, this uh, ancient and, and rich story and what it t- tells us about you, what it tells us about the world, what it tells us about your people and what it means to, to be human. And uh, I know there's so much more here than we could ever even cover in the few minutes we have together, but I pray that you would uh, just speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that he would uh, help us to understand what we need to understand here in this moment. I pray for every person here, no matter where we're coming from, whether we have a Christian background or not, or whether we're skeptical or whether we're maybe a little clued out, uh, even we might even be in the church, but be out of touch with where we are spiritually. Wherever we're at, God, I pray that you'd remove the roadblocks to uh, your spirit really speaking to us. And I pray everyone gets something out of looking at the Bible and uh, that you'd speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, it says that in verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's so much that we could talk about here with, with all these all these verses of, of Genesis are so full of imagery, so full of meaning, but uh, we, we don't have time today. But, but uh, th- this world, th- this words that are translated here, formless and empty, um, there's a lot that's going on sometimes in the Bible in the original language that we don't know about because this has been translated into our modern day English, but it was originally written in the book of Hebrew, in, in the book of Genesis was originally written in the language of Hebrew. And so those words formless and empty in Hebrew are tovu, tovu, uh, tovu, vohohu, tovu vohohu. And so it's kind of like a, 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 a um, it's like a, a rhyme, you know, tovu vohohu. Um, and, uh, and so it, it has a kind of a, a ring to it, you know, for us, formless and empty doesn't really mean anything. But uh, I heard of one translator that, that translated it wild and waste. That kind of carries more of the meaning, like for us, our modern ears. But it, it's it's all, this this phrase is used to refer to desert wastelands. It, it, it's referred to the the wild, you know, basically chaos, and uh, it's wild and waste. It's that, that's the state of things until God starts to cultivate and starts to do His work. Uh, so there, it's wild and waste, and yet it says the Spirit of God is there. So the Spirit of God is there. And throughout the, the, these days of creation that we read about, God is turning tovu vavohu into tov. Tov is good. So it goes from tovu vavohu into tov. So God is turning wild and waste into good. So that's why when, when we hear again and again, he made this and it was good. He made this and it was good. He made this and it was good. It's kind of some Hebrew wordplay going on. Does that make sense? So, so God is turning what's wild. And he's turning it. He's cultivating it. He's, he's creating. He's, he's making something good out of the wild and waste. And when we get down to where man is formed in verse 26, there's two accounts of, of humans being formed. We're going to kind of look at both. But Hebrew, uh, sorry, Genesis 1, verse 26. I think I said Hebrews. Got Hebrews on the mind. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So a couple things we just are going to hit here. Uh, first of all, it's the, the image of God, the Imago Dei. If you remember a year ago, if you were a part of the fellowship a year ago, we did a, a series called Beautiful Design. You guys remember that? And uh, if, you, if you don't, or you, you can always catch up on our, on our app with that. But, but we talked a lot about how God designed men and women. And uh, we spent the whole series just looking at that and how, how God designed us. And that we have the image of God, the Imago Dei, and what that means. Um, you know, w- what it says to me is that every person is in the image of God. So, so you know, this faith, this story that we're looking at is a story of all people. Um, and, and the Imago Dei has really informed people of faith for a long time. This was unique to Israel. This, when they looked at this, when they believed this, this was very unique. Like there was an Akkadian uh, saying, I want to read you, that said... Uh, this Akkadian proverb. So this is people that, uh, uh, that live around the Israelites. A man is in the shadow of a god, and a slave is in the shadow of a man. That's the Akkadian proverb, and and that's the way the rest of the world has functioned. And yet, God has always said, no. Every man, every woman is in, carries that image, carries the image of God. We all are divine in one sense and we're all dust in another sense as we'll we'll look at in a minute but there's a there's a radical equality of human beings regardless of gender regardless of ethnicity religion race any form of social economic or political status we're all made in the image of god and that's really important and since we're all made made in the image of god we're also all accountable to god and and all human beings can have a relationship with god that's built into us to be able to have that relationship and and as image bearers we are partnering with god in his work um you know dictators or uh emperors through history have oftentimes had images of themselves all over their domain uh you know even right now you know they're in, in north korea there's images of the leader all over north korea and just to remind everybody this is who's in charge and uh that's kind of a negative image but but when it comes to kingship, that's the idea of being image bearers, that we all are representatives of God. Wherever we are, we're, we're, we're reflecting his kinship. And, and his, when it talks about ruling over the earth, it's talking about partnering with him in turning tovu vauhu into tov, turning wild and waste into good. We're, we are fellow co-creators with God in a sense. We are, we are made to do good work on the earth. Does that make sense? And, uh, and, and so this has a lot of implications in the work that we do and the relationships that we have. And so we're going to be, be especially talking today about uh, work and relationships. Um, if you're following along on your app, there's a little fill-in, so you can fill in the answers right here. God has given us a story about why you matter, why your relationships matter, and why your work matters. So we're going to be talking especially today about work and relationships, and that's kind of where we live. So, so moving on, um, in, in, in chapter 2, it, it starts again with kind of a retelling of the same story, but it's zooming in on this one couple and zooming in in this one man and woman. And it starts again with the fact that everything is, is wild and waste. It's all bare. 
But then it says in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So this, uh, I know he has, he kind of looks like he has shorts there in the picture, but, but maybe he did. We, you know, no. Actually, it says he was naked, so um, I just didn't want to do a Google search for naked pictures, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, I, so he has shorts. Um, but this man, Adam, you know, the word Adam, it, you know, scholars debate, it's not really a name even. That's the Hebrew word for human. And the Hebrew word for human, uh, human is Adam. Uh, dirt is Adama. So he's from the dirt. That's what, that's what human means. That's what Adam means, is from the dirt. So we are formed from the same materials as the earth. We're formed from the same materials as dirt. We... In fact, it's, it's really cool when you study science and you see where the heavier elements come from, some of the heavier elements that are in our own bodies. Um, th- those, you only get those elements forming inside stars. You know, the natural matter, it, it cools into hydrogen and helium, and then to get heavier things, you, you need more things to happen. So in stars, with, with the process of star making and the, the, uh, the life of a star, it compresses matter to make these heavier elements. So anything heavier, any of the heavier elements are created inside stars. That's what science tells us. So you are literally made of stardust. It's really cool to think about that the, 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 the atoms that make up your body were once formed inside stars. God took all this to make humans, to make humans out of, out of the earth. We're Adama. Uh, we're Adam from Adama. And, but, the, but then the thing is, it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So we're both dirt and divine breath. And so we have this tension in ourselves that we are the image of God, but we're also from the earth. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, it says that Adam was given a job to do. God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and, therefore he, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, verse 15. So Adam, who was the original gardener? Well, before, before Adam. God, right? Who, who planted the garden? Verse 8, God. So God's the original gardener, but then he gives Adam a job to garden. So gardening, uh, I'm not much of a gardener. I mean, I mow my lawn and I plant some things here and there, but I'm not like a real gardener. I really enjoy it, though. It's very therapeutic. And, and the, the, the gardening is, represents kind of all work, and that all work is really essentially taking uh, chaos, taking clutter, taking wild and waste, and cultivating it, making something good out of it. We don't really create something new, but we make something beautiful, or we make something artistic, or we make something valuable to be shared. Uh, we're not just doing it for ourselves, but we're doing it to be shared. You know, I'm a songwriter, and I like to write songs, and there's an interesting TED Talk uh, that you could, could watch called Everything is a Remix. And basically, it's really cool because he looks at all these different songs and he just talks about how every song is really derivative from other songs. And it's true. Everything is a remix. Everything is taking everything that you've experienced and then cultivating it and making something new. So this has implications in work. Work was originally meant to be valuable. It was really originally meant to be meaningful. And it was really originally meant to be part of our image of God, that we're partnering with God to make something beautiful, to make something valuable to be shared with other humanity in relationship. Also, we see here relationship early. In in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for Adam to be alone. Amen. 
uh, I need a partner in life. I need uh, my wife desperately. She completes me. And um, it talks about God says, I'll make a helper for him. And that, that word helper, David uses to describe God. So the word helper doesn't mean that she's not as good or she's just a helper. He's the real one with the job. No, it's, it's, he, she's the one that really helps him to get anything done. You know, she's the, she is God in the, in, in that, in the story that Jesus, of David and, and his helper. You know, she is the one. You know, and any of us who have uh, those kind of wives, you know, we, we, we raise our hands and say, I, amen. She, com- she makes everything work, you know. And, uh, but, but we see here really early as well in this garden situation that God made us to be in, in relationships. And they have an intimate relationship, and there's no shame, and there's, uh, there's love, and there's this horizontal intimacy, and there's vertical intimacy with God. And it's all, all good. Uh, and yet, we see sin enter in. In verse uh, chapter 3, skip over to chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, so when I talk about sin, I want to speak to those who might not be churchy people, you know. Uh, that might be all of you, but, you know, that word sin, it has sort of a certain connotation. You know, I, I think of the church lady, you know, from Saturday Night Live when I was a teenager. Uh, you know, oh, isn't that special? You know, he, she would say, and it was Dana Carvey, you know, and, and, and then she, she, he, she would say, what's going on with this? What, what could it be? I don't know, Ma. I don't know. Let's see. Um, Satan? You know, or she would say, sin, you know, and, and it was just this kind of mockery of sin and Satan. And, and it's just so ridiculous. And that, that's kind of how our society views that word sin. Oh, that's old fashioned. Uh, that's that's religious language. Uh, that doesn't mean anything for our lives. Today. Aren't we past that in our culture? Aren't we past sin? So I want to kind of reclaim this biblical idea uh, of, of sin. I don't want to reclaim sin in my life, but... Uh, but the idea of it and what it means, because I think that's a tool of Satan to try to get you to not take him seriously or not take sin seriously. And the, the word sin is hamarsha, which means to miss the mark. And it, it's so it's falling short. You know, the Bible says in Romans three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's like God has this plan for you and we fall short. We, we fail to to fulfill this original garden plan. We fall short of that plan. So it's really, it's not so much that God is trying to keep something from you, you know, like that's a lot, how a lot of people think about church or, or Christianity. Oh yeah, God has all these rules and he just wants to keep you from doing stuff. That's, that's the lie that Satan tells us, we'll see here in a minute. Really, it's that God wants something for you. Really, God's plan is much better than the world's plan. Much better than, sin is the lesser alternative. God has made us to be completely fulfilled in relationship with him and in relationship with others and in Jesus as we're going to look at. But then we look to these other things to try to fill those holes and they never really work. We look to materialism. We look to pleasure. We look to uh, uh, relationships that are ungodly. We look to uh, activities that hurt, harm our bodies. We, we look to these other things to try to fill us up and we never really get there. It's like running on a treadmill. You never really arrive. That's sin. That's what sin is. It's, it's a lesser of God's plan. And, and it's interesting what Satan says. And, and again, there's a talking serpent here, talking snake. And just, you know, elephant in the room, it seems weird, right? The snake is talking to her. That seems really weird. You know, did it seem, do you think it seemed weird a, a thousand years ago or 2,000 years ago? I think, I think it probably seemed weird then too. Uh, you know, something weird, something very different is going on here. There's a lot of things like that in the Bible where there's a bush burning, but it's not 
it's not on fire, but it's not burning or, you know, odd things. And here we have a talking serpent. It's really odd and really strange. But but it, it seems like there's a voice being given to this creature that's some other voice. But it's still a creature. It's not like the, the, Satan is not on a par with God in this story at all. It's a creature who's trying to get another creature to rebel. And when you learn more about the story of who Satan is, you see that he is actually an angel who rebelled against God, and he is living in rebellion against God, and he's trying to get other created beings to rebel against God as well. So he says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What God had told them is, you can eat from any tree in the garden. There's uh, this beautiful garden full of fruit trees. Everything is yours except this one tree. And uh, that's how God is sometimes. You know, he'll give us bounty but then there's the one thing you know you can't do the one the one boundary he might put and it tests our hearts it's like well, why not that one though you know and and what satan does is he twists it a little bit did god really say you must not eat any tree in the garden so that's what satan does is he'll sow in kind of misinformation and and, and uh, about god about the story of god about the people of god he'll sow in he'll put in a little in, misinformation and then she kind of corrects him no no he said this and then what what satan says is you know god god didn't really god, god didn't knows that you're not going to that's not going to happen to you god is trying to keep something from you he says and you can read that on your own we don't have time to really look into it but she, satan says to eve god doesn't want you to be like him God is trying to keep you down. God is trying to keep you from having all you could have. And so she, she, uh, she goes along and Adam goes along. And, and so what this tells us is that God never forces himself on us in relationship, but he gives us choices. And we can either choose to live by his guidelines or his, uh, live according to his plan, or we can choose to make up our own rules. He gives us complete freedom. But because of that, if we're going to live however we're going to live, then that's going to have echoes into other people and echoes into other relationships. And uh, sin has, has ripples, like in a pond. What happened last Sunday, that was huge ripples from a man and, and his relationship with a woman and his relationship with the in-laws and who knows all that went on. You know, there's probably many parts of that story, but it's sin multiplied out and all these innocent victims are are forever impacted because of because of sin maybe not all sin is going to have that kind of impact but it all has impact as we're going to see and so there's different levels of of of, or different ways that uh that sin impacts us i want to read to you from an old testament scholar named christopher wright he writes a a really cool book it's called the mission of god and it it has some of these things that we're going to be looking at the next uh several weeks in it but but it's a little bit scholarly um this part's not too bad so just kind of gear yourself up to listen for a second. And uh, if it's too much, you can tune out. That's fine. But uh, it's not too long. But I, I just I, I think this is super interesting. It says human beings are physical. They are creatures in the created physical world. Spiritual. They have unique intimacy of relationship with God. Human beings are rational. They have unique powers of communication, language, addressability, consciousness, memory, emotions, and will. And social. They're gender complementary reflects the relational uh, the relational dimension of god and underlies all human relationships so he's saying there's something unique about humans on earth and that is that we are spiritual rational physical and social beings all of these dimensions physical spiritual rational and social 
are combined in the integrated human person described in Genesis 2-7 as a living being. What the following narrative in, in Genesis 3 goes on to show, however, is that every one of these four dimensions was involved in the entry of sin into human life. And every one of them is also affected by the consequences of that choice. The story of the temptation of Eve and the collusion of Adam involves all aspects of human nature. So spiritually, Eve was led, into doubt, led to doubt the truth and goodness of God, thus undermining the prior relationship of trust and obedience. Mental, rational. She contemplated the fruit under discussion. Her reflection was rational. It was good for food. Aesthetic, it was pleasing to the eye, and intellectual, desirable for gaining wisdom. All these capacities of the human intellect are good in of themselves, commended and highly prized gifts of God. There was nothing wrong with Eve using her mind. The problem was she was now using all of its powers in the direction that was forbidden by God. The problem lay not in a rational reflection, but in the disobedience being thereby rationalized. Physical. Physically, she took some, quote, and ate it. These are simple verbs describing physical action in the physical world. Socially, she shared the fruit with Adam, who was with her. He acquiesced in direction of that whole conversation, reflection, and action was taking. The sin was already spiritual, mental, and physical, and also became shared. It entered into the core of human relationship, giving birth immediately to mutual shame, subsequently to increasingly malevolent, Progeny. Progeny means their kids. Having thus gained its entry through every dimension of human personality, sin goes on to permanently corrupt all of these same four dimensions in human life and experience. So I, I, I like that because he, he goes into such depth about, about you know, this story that we've probably all heard. If you haven't heard, just take a few minutes later to read the story. We've probably all heard this story, but he goes into really detail about what, what was really going on on these different levels. And then he talks about what that means for us. Because we are all children of Adam and Eve. We have all uh, stepped into this zone of sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all trend this way. We live in a fallen world. And, uh, and so uh, just a little bit more reading, if you permit it. I'm going to uh, just read the rest of this, what this means for us. Spiritually, we are alienated from God, fearful of his presence, suspicion of his truth, hostile to his love. Little kids aren't like that, but, but as they grow, that's how they end up. That's the default. Rationally, we use our minds like the first human couple to rationalize sin, blame others, and excuse ourselves. That's exactly what they do after this happens. Rationalize, blame, shift, excuse themselves. We have become darkened in our thinking. Physically, we are sentenced to death as God decreed, and suffer its invasion through sickness and decay, even in life itself, while our whole physical environment likewise groans in futility under God's curse. That's just saying, what the Bible teaches is that all of creation is part of the curse of sin. All of creation is groaning and longing for renewal and redemption. Last thing, socially, human life was fractured at every level with anger, jealousy, violence, and murder, even between the brothers in the story of Cain and Abel, escalating into the horrendous social decay the rest of the biblical narrative graphically portrays. The fall radically distorted and strained our human relationships with the earth itself and also frustrated creation's primary function in relation to God. So there were these implications of sin for that first couple and for us today. And so some of the things that 
that God says are, are a result of sin, you really see them reflected in our work and in relationships. We talked about work and, and relationships. You know, he says to the um, woman, I'll just read it here uh, in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You know, there, there are implications in human relationships from this point forward. And our, our, the history of our species is a horrible history when it comes to uh, relationships, and especially men-women relationships. And even in our news today, it's still going on uh, with Harvey Weinstein and so many others like him who are predator, predators and who have inflicted so much. They've, they've ruled over women. And so there's all kinds of problems in the relationships and, and the sexuality that we have uh, in our beings and, and uh, you know, in the way we view ourselves sexually and the way we view, other, view others sexually. And there's just a lot of baggage that we end up with, especially the farther apart you are from God, the more baggage there is in, in relationships. Uh, and, then, and then to Adam, he says, verse 17, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about what I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. You know, there, there are implications in our work. There are implications in, 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 in how we, you know, work can be frustrating and difficult. And it's the sweat of our brow and we got to do it, but it, it sucks everything out of us. And, you know, there. There, there's not a uh, there, there's not the, this garden you know enjoyable uh, creative partnering with God work situation. It's 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 bitter herbs and uh, bitter th- thistles. I mean, and thorns and painful toil, and that's that's where we end up because of sin. And so we need a solution. You know, we need a savior. We need something to to fix this situation, this fallen world that we're in. And, and that's what this series is going to be about, looking forward towards the Messiah and seeing how we see uh, um, predictions about the Messiah and all these different uh, stories. And, and right here, even in this first story of the Bible, there is a, uh, a text, something interesting that's said that scholars uh, agree is, and the early Christians thought this was talking about Jesus. And see what you think. But this is what the early Christians thought. Uh, Genesis 3.15, he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So, you know, that could just mean that humans are afraid of snakes and they don't like snakes. Um, or it could mean something deeper. And the early Christians thought it meant something deeper. And what they believed is that, you know, there will be this person, there will be someone who will come and will destroy this voice that will defeat the source of temptation the source of evil will completely destroy it uh but he will take some of the venom into himself you know that that the the venom would he would strike your heel this this figure would be stricken and yet would crush the enemy completely so it's poetic uh but it's a beautiful image and, and what, what we learn when we learn more about the story of Jesus, especially the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, is that, that the, the powers of darkness thought they were winning at the point of crucifixion. They, they thought they were winning as Jesus was condemned to die. And yet they were just striking his heel. 
And in fact, it dealt a mortal blow to Satan. And the Bible teaches that uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, death came through a man, that's Adam. Resurrection from the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And it talks in that text about how every enemy one after another will be defeated until every enemy is destroyed. And the final enemy to be destroyed is death. And so in our world, we're marching forward towards this future day, this future garden city. So God is working in our world. Even, even outside the church, God is bringing people into more, uh, you know, making moral progress. Enemies are being destroyed until finally the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But we're in this period between the two trees, you know, and so that has implications for our work and relationships. So I just want to close with this idea of how our, uh, how our work and relationships are redeemed in a practical sense by God. So, for example, uh, Genesis 3.16 says, Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. So that's the sinful situation of, of this oppressive relationship. Uh, one person oppressing another. And that's just not men-women relationships, but I would put slavery in that category. Any, any, you know, when, when you, are, you are getting your work through demoralizing another person. That's, that's what happens with sin. And yet, the biblical picture of marriage is amazing. And we don't have time to really dig into this, but Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And it says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies just as Christ loves the church. So the, the Christian ethic, the redeemed ethic of marriage, is one in which Jesus is at the center, and he is our perfect example of how we treat each other. And so instead of a husband ruling over a wife, the husband is dying to himself for the wife, putting himself on the cross. In my marriage, it shouldn't be like, well, how much is her fault or how much is my fault? Is that how Jesus treated us? It should be like, okay, I, I need to take all of the blame. Now, that's not easy, but if there's a problem, it's like, no, I'm the one to go to the cross. I'm the husband. I need to love her like Christ loved the church. Uh, and he took all the blame. He did all the suffering. It needs to all fall on me. I'm not trying to claim fairness. And, no, no, look, i got to be like Jesus. And, and not because of my wife is so awesome, she is, but it's because of Jesus and what he did on the cross for me. That's what allows that, that to happen. And, uh, you know, it, it talks about you, you, you treat your wife like you treat your own body. You feed and you care for it. If there's one thing guys are good at, it's listening to their bodies. When they're hungry, when they're tired. Uh, when they have an achy, achy, you know. When mom's sick, she pushes through, she takes care of all the kids, she still does it all. When dad's sick, the whole place is shutting down, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sick. Um, we won't go to the doctor, that's a different thing, because we're prideful. But when we're sick, we're, you know, we listen to our body. So, you know, when, when it talks about as, love your wife as you love your own self, as you love your own body, you feed and you care for it, that means her needs have got to be constantly in your mind that you're you are completely attentive to her needs so i know this isn't a lesson on husband and wife relationships but but that's just a little picture of how you see the contrast right you see the contrast between this oppressive sinful relationship that we see in a fallen world and then through christ it's redeemed another example is work you know we we read this that it will produce thorns and thistles for you Cursed is the ground because of you. Painful toil. You know, work is hard. Work is unfulfilling. Work is difficult. But the redeemed situation, Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, 
work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is huge. We could do a whole lesson on this, and we will sometime, but this is speaking to people who are slaves. You know, half of the early disciples were slaves. Slave was a huge institution of the Roman Empire. It was different than American slavery. It wasn't racially based, uh, and, it, and you could get out of it, but it was a huge part of their society. And, um, and, and so, but, but even if you're a slave, it says God will reward you for your work. So it redeems your work. It gives you a whole different motivation, a whole different mindset toward work. I'm not doing this for human masters. I'm not doing this to increase the bottom line. I'm not doing this even to provide for my family. I'm doing this because I love God. And God sees how I work. And God sees what I do. And God sees that I don't cut corners. Or God, you know, it, it affects your ethic. It affects your morality at work. It affects whether you're going to be honest or not. I mean... Christians should be the very best employees there are because we're not working for our boss. We're working for God. And I remember having a conversation with this one boss and he was, you know, trying to increase my, it was in, when I was in sales and he was, uh, his name was, was Reza Zayemi. He was this guy from, cool guy from Iran. And he was like this incredible salesman. And he just, he cranked, he had carpal tunnel in both wrists from doing so much sales. So for a while there, he would be on the phone making sales and, and this young woman is typing all of his stuff for him and he's just sitting there with his, you know. <laughs> he was, so he was such an amazing salesman, they made him sales manager. And I never forget this, you know, this, this interaction we had. He was trying to get me motivated and he was just talking about money and talking about things I could buy and, and talking about all the stuff he had bought and, and uh, you know, you could, you could get this much, uh, you know, of a, of a you could get this a spiff here, or you could get this here, you could get money, 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 and I'm just like, this is not, this is not why I do this, Reza. And he's like, what? You know, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I work for God. I'm, 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 I want to do a great job, but it's not because I'm trying to get money. And and that has protected me from so much stuff in in, in the work environment, and even bitterness when I've had uh, bosses who were bitter or who were angry, who were awful. It's like, okay, well, the, God says what? I'm going to be rewarded. If I work as I'm supposed to work, maybe I'm still going to look for a new job, but, uh, you know, I'm going to still have a great attitude while I'm here, and God will reward me. And, uh, I, you know, I remember I had one job. It was kind of a miserable job. I was a room service waiter at the Hyatt in Long Beach. It started good, and then I got a horrible boss, and it was horrible for a while. But one of the things we had to do at work is go walk through every floor of the hotel and clear all the food service trays that people stick outside their door. You know, that's, that seems like kind of a, a yucky thing to do. You know, it's nasty. You, you, we'd, had this huge, we'd take them all down the hall and fill this huge thing with all these trays and, and deal with it all, clean it all. But you know what? That was one of my most enjoyable things that I would do because I would go and I would walk and I would sing and I would pray. And, you know, I don't know why it's making me emotional. I haven't thought about it in a long time. Um, it was just time with me and God. And, and at the end of every floor of the Hyatt in Long Beach is like a little uh, stairwell, a little balcony. And when I would get to the, uh, the end there, I would just pray about my life and look, look out over the ocean. And it was just a delightful time with God. And God gave me songs then. I, I wrote the song, uh, Thank You, Lord, uh, as I was walking those floors. And... Um, 
I prayed about my life. I prayed about our future. And I feel like those prayers are still being answered uh, with, with my kids and with how much God has blessed me. But this was, it could have been looked at as a horrible thing. This horrible job is so awful. But it, I, I loved it. I loved that moment of every day. And so whatever your job is, there, there is some way that you can find life in it. You can find hope. You can, God will redeem that, that, that life that you're living. We should be people who are full of joy and full of, of God. You know, God filling us up, not, not bitter and frustrated and angry. That's the curse. But we're here to reverse the curse because of Jesus. And um, I, I, in, your, in your notes there, if you look on, on uh, your app, I, I put down a lot of questions from, uh, there's a Bible scholar named Timothy Keller that uh, writes some really great questions that you can ask about your job. And, uh, and, and I, I want to give you the assignment of reflecting on those questions this week. Uh, I'll, I'll email it out to you as well. But to look over those questions and reflect on those questions and, and every, almost everybody here, actually everybody here does work, because even if you're a stay-at-home mom, that's a lot of work. <laughs> so, so we all have work. And, uh, you know, uh, look over those questions and how they are reflected in the work that you do and, and ask God to really change uh, and redeem your perspective towards work. So uh, I'm going to say a prayer to close out this lesson, and then uh, we're going to have one of an, an awesome employee who I greatly respect, and he does a great job in his work. He works in a horrible, evil uh, <laughs> environment, which he might share with you if he wants. Uh, Pat Toomey is going to come and lead our thoughts for the offering. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, for Jesus. Thank you for the way that he redeems our relationships. Thank you for the way he redeems our work. Um, thank you that through his power and by his blood, we can be forgiven of all of our sins, as, uh, as Dwight talked about. And if anybody's here that doesn't know that forgiveness or hasn't experienced it or doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would be willing to uh, get the Bible open and learn more about who he is and, and, and why he came and how we can be forgiven and completely w- wiped uh, free of the curse of sin and death that's on each one of us without him. Uh, thank you so much. No matter how we try, we want to be perfect. No matter how we try, we want to live these lives of perfection, and we just always fall short. And thank you that Jesus makes up the difference uh, that will bring us to that garden city uh, someday uh, all together uh, in paradise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.